say when things get tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. Today we're going to try something completely different. The field of risk communication, upon which this podcast is based, is about 60 years old. It was born partly in response to the burgeoning environmental movement of the mid to late 1960s, when activists began to demand a greater voice in decisions that companies and government agencies were making that would have an impact on the environment around them. And the experts at these agencies and companies needed new skills and techniques to communicate with these activists and with general members of the public who had a lot of interest and passion, but not necessarily the scientific training needed to understand the language that engineers and scientists and lawyers and other professionals use when they get together to decide how to clean up a contaminated industrial site. In April of 1988, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency became the first federal agency to embrace risk communication when it published a document called the seven cardinal rules of risk communication. And these were designed to help EPA experts deploy the skills and techniques of risk communication to the cleanup of what are known as Superfund sites, which for our purposes today simply means some very, very dirty private and public industrial sites that would require billions of dollars and many years to clean up. And since this document represents such an important milestone in the development of the field of risk communication, I thought I might simply read it to you and perhaps make some comments about it of my own as we go along. So, for your listening pleasure, here are the seven cardinal rules of risk communication as defined by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency just about 33 years ago today. There are no easy prescriptions for successful risk communication. However, those who have studied and participated in recent debates about risk generally agree on seven cardinal rules. These rules apply equally well to the public and private sectors. Although many of the rules may seem obvious, they are continually and consistently violated in practice. Thus, a useful way to read these rules is to focus on why they are frequently not followed. Cardinal rule number one. Accept and involve the public as a legitimate partner. A basic tenet of risk communication in a democracy is that people and communities have a right to participate in decisions that affect their lives, their property, and the things that they value. Demonstrate your respect for the public and underscore the sincerity of your effort by involving the community early, before important decisions are made. Involve all parties that have an interest or a stake in the issue under consideration. If you are a government employee, remember that you work for the public. If you do not work for the government, the public still holds you accountable. The goal of risk communication in a democracy should be to produce an informed public that is involved, interested, reasonable, thoughtful, solution-oriented, and collaborative. It should not be used to diffuse public concerns or replace action. Cardinal rule number two, plan carefully and evaluate your efforts. Risk communication will be successful only if carefully planned. Begin with clear, explicit risk communication objectives, such as providing information to the public, motivating individuals to act, 
stimulating response to emergencies, or contributing to the resolution of conflict. Evaluate the information you have about the risks and know its strengths and weaknesses. Classify and segment the various groups in your audience. Aim your communications at specific subgroups in your audience. Recruit spokespeople who are good at presentation and, and interaction. Train your staff, including technical staff and communication skills. Reward outstanding performance whenever possible. Pre-test your messages. Carefully evaluate your efforts and learn from your mistakes. There is no such entity as the public. Instead, there are many publics, each with its own interests, needs, concerns, priorities, preferences, and organizations. Different risk communication goals, audiences, and media require different risk communication strategies. Before I move on to cardinal rule number three, I want to point out that in many states, in most states, the principles that are outlined in those first two cardinal rules about involving the public as a legitimate partner and carefully planning and evaluating your efforts have been codified in law. So when EPA put these out back in 1988, there was no specific requirement in the law uh, for them to be implemented. Uh, they were simply recommendations, guidelines for how people working for EPA and others who were interested in using these uh, guidelines for their own work uh, could go about involving the public and communicating with them about issues involving risk. Now, when sites are investigated, when sites are cleaned up, these things are, there are milestones included in law that require responsible parties or those who are responsible for cleaning up the contaminated site uh, to involve the public, to hold public hearings, uh, to make certain information available, uh, to form citizen advisory councils, and many similar things. So while these were guidelines 33 years ago, today, in most jurisdictions, uh, they are requirements. So with that, let's move on to cardinal rule number three, which is listen to the public's specific concerns. If you do not listen to people, you cannot expect them to listen to you. Communication is a two-way activity. Do not make assumptions about what people know, think, or want done about risks. Take the time to find out what people are thinking. Use techniques such as interviews, focus groups, and surveys. Let all parties that have an interest or a stake in the issue be heard. Identify with your audience and try to put yourself in their place. Recognize people's emotions. Let people know that you understand what they said, addressing their concerns as well as yours. Recognize the hidden agendas they may have symbolic meanings, and broader economic or political considerations that often underlie and complicate the task of risk communication. People in the community are often more concerned about such issues as trust, credibility, competence, control, voluntariness, fairness, caring, and compassion than about mortality statistics and the details of quantitative risk assessment. And this is absolutely true and has only become more true in the years since this document was first published. In the future, I'm going to do an episode on what's known as active listening, because I think that uh, listening is absolutely one of the most important skills that an effective risk communicator uh, brings to the table. You have to be able to listen to what people are telling you, what their concerns are, what they might not be telling you, what their concerns may be that even they are not able to articulate, 
And one of the best ways to do that is to engage in active listening, where you are all along during the course of a conversation confirming that what you're hearing is what people are communicating, making sure that what you understand them to be saying is actually what they are saying and what they mean. And that has to be done in a very respectful way. Um, you do not want to do that in a condescending way. Uh, but cardinal rule number three, to me, has only grown more and more important uh, in the years since EPA first put this document together. Cardinal rule number four, be honest, frank, and open. In communicating risk information, trust and credibility are your most precious assets. State your credentials, but do not ask or expect to be trusted by the public. If you do not know an answer or are uncertain, say so. Get back to people with answers. Admit your mistakes. Disclose risk information as soon as possible and emphasize any reservations about reliability. Do not minimize or exaggerate the level of risk. Speculate only with great caution. If in doubt, lean toward sharing more information not less, or people may think you are hiding something. Discuss data uncertainties, strengths and weaknesses, including the ones identified by other credible sources. Identify worst case estimates as such and cite ranges of risk estimates when appropriate. Trust and credibility are difficult to obtain. Once lost, they are almost impossible to regain completely. And that last bit is absolutely true. In fact, risk communication, the skills and techniques involved in risk communication are really all about establishing and maintaining trust and credibility with your audience. Once you've lost trust and credibility, it's almost impossible to get them back. And if you can't get them back, you are never going to be an effective communicator in difficult situations. Cardinal rule number five, coordinate and collaborate with other credible sources. Allies can be effective in helping you communicate risk information. Take time to coordinate all inter-organizational and intra-organizational communications. Devote effort and resources to the slow, hard work of building bridges with other organizations. Use credible and authoritative intermediaries. Consult with others to determine who is best able to answer questions about risk. Try to issue communications jointly with other trustworthy sources. For example, credible university scientists, physicians, or trusted local officials. Few things make risk communication more difficult than conflicts or public disagreements with other credible sources. And here is a good opportunity for me to emphasize that the rules and guidelines, skills, and techniques of risk communication are constantly evolving, just like any other field of science. And when you think about collaborating and coordinating with other credible sources, you have to think very carefully about whether or not the source that you're considering collaborating with will be seen as credible in the eyes of the audience that you're trying to communicate with. One example that I use with my clients frequently to emphasize this point is that when I first started uh, working with clients, uh, both uh, teaching risk communication and working with teams that were risk communication and cleanup activities across the country, one of the third-party sources of credibility that we would often recommend that a client 
reach out to would be religious leaders in the community uh, because they, at the time, could have tremendous credibility uh, with the public, particularly uh, with the members of their church or synagogue or mosque. This was particularly true if there happened to be a religious institution located near a site that needed to be cleaned up. Well, then we had the scandals in the early 2000s of the Catholic Church, which everybody is aware of, and although that certainly represents you know, a small number of bad eggs um, and does not reflect the vast, vast majority of religious figures in this country or around the world, unfortunately, surveys showed that the level of trust and credibility that people placed in religious leaders plummeted and has never recovered. And so now, ever since that happened, almost 20 years ago, we counsel our clients not to turn to religious leaders in the community as credible sources of information simply because uh, that scandal um, has caused their trust and credibility levels to go down. They will recover eventually, and when they do, we can turn to them again. Uh, but for now, it's safest not at, to coordinate or collaborate with religious leaders as other credible sources in the so let's move on to cardinal rule number six, meet the needs of the media. The media are a prime transmitter of information on risks. They play a critical role in setting agendas and in determining outcomes. Guidelines, be open with and accessible to reporters, respect their deadlines, provide risk information tailored to the needs of each type of media. For example, graphics and other visual aids for television. Prepare in advance and provide background material on complex risk issues. Do not hesitate to follow up on stories with praise or criticism, as warranted. Try to establish long-term relationships of trust with specific editors and reporters. The media are frequently more interested in politics than in risk, more interested in simplicity than in complexity, and more interested in danger than in safety. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that of all the aspects of risk communication, and certainly of the seven cardinal rules of risk communication that EPA promulgated in April of 1988, meeting the needs of the media has changed the most. In 1988, CNN was only eight years old. The 24-hour news cycle had arrived, but it did not drive the nation's agenda. Uh, that was still done by mainstream newspapers and by the evening news. Of course, today we live in a world of 24-hour media, seven days a week, and everywhere you go, because everybody's got a phone, everybody's got a camera, everybody can record you no matter where you are or what you're doing. We'll do future episodes about the role that the media play in communicating effectively in difficult situations, but the point here is that a lot has changed, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. And finally, cardinal rule number seven, speak clearly and with compassion. Technical language and jargon are useful as professional shorthand, but they are barriers to successful communication with the public. Use simple, non-technical language. Be sensitive to local norms, such as speech and dress. Use vivid, concrete images that communicate on a personal level. Use examples and anecdotes that make technical risk data come alive. Avoid distant, abstract, unfeeling language about deaths, injuries, and illnesses. 
acknowledge and respond both in words and with actions to emotions that people express, anxiety, fear, anger, outrage, helplessness, acknowledge and respond to the distinctions that the public views as important in evaluating risks. For example, voluntariness, controllability, familiarity, dread, origin, whether something is natural or man-made, benefits, fairness, and catastrophic potential. Use risk comparisons to help put risks in perspective, but avoid comparisons that ignore distinctions that people consider important. Always try to include a discussion of actions that are underway or can be taken. Tell people what you cannot do, promise only what you can do, and be sure to do what you promise. Regardless of how well you communicate risk information, some people will not be satisfied. Never let your efforts to inform people about risks prevent you from acknowledging and saying that any illness, injury, or death is a tragedy. If people are sufficiently motivated, they are quite capable of understanding complex risk information even if they may not agree with you. And that brings us to the end of EPA's seven cardinal rules of risk communication. I think one of the most amazing things about this very short document uh, published 33 years ago is how much of it holds true today. Uh, the people that put this together, and I'm going to read uh, this, the uh, citations here in a moment, uh, really knew what they were doing. As I've mentioned in several cases, things have evolved, things have changed, they always do, but the basic guidelines, the fundamental principles upon which this document is built, hold true today. And that really is truly remarkable and says a lot about the people who put this together. The pamphlet was drafted by Vincent Cavello and Frederick Allen with the assistance and review of numerous colleagues in and out of government. At the time, Dr. Cavello was the director of the Center for Risk Communication at Columbia University and was president of the Society for Risk Analysis. And the views expressed in this document that I just read to you do not necessarily represent the views of Columbia University or the Society for Risk Analysis. Dr. Allen is Associate Director of the Office of Policy Analysis at the Environmental Protection Agency. The EPA has published this pamphlet as a non-binding reference document, recognizing that the manner in which the guidance should be applied will necessarily vary from case to case. But I do want to say one thing about Vince Cavello. Uh, Vince is my mentor. He's the one who got me started in the field of risk communication. Uh, it was a seminar I attended uh, that he gave uh, that just fascinated me from the moment he started speaking until the moment he stopped three hours later. And it led to a lifelong interest in and really love for uh, the field of risk communication. I have been trying to reach out to Vince ever since I started this podcast because I would love to have him on as a guest. Hopefully someday I'll be able to make that happen. Thank you, as always, to Jim Cirillo, jimiumgroup.com, for our original music. Thank you to my daughter, Rachel Greenberger, for our new original podcast art. If you have any questions, please send them to wtswtgt at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. And until next time, always be positive.